0: So what's... Now, first of all, we're going to do a Q&A, which is another way of saying that you're going to ask me questions that you really want to know the answer to, yes. not just things that you don't really want the answer to, but something that's really important. Uh, we started out last time with, oh, the ratification of the new covenant, and uh, I could only go so far with that. But if you really do want to know something, uh, either from Scripture or from practical Christian living or about Grace Community Church or about joint heirs in general um, or specific, then I'm open to that. So first of all, how is everyone? Okay, yeah, better than me, right? (laughs) Yeah, well, that's good. Doesn't, isn't it helpful to know that you're doing better than the, anyway, Um, uh, if you were here last Sunday night, Pastor John did a, a really great Uh, Q&A, which I will not try to duplicate because his first answer was all of our time uh, for the whole entire time, which is very helpful and it's very deep. But um, one thing we were talking about, I met with some of the leaders this uh, last Friday and we were just talking about how really sometimes Q&A is very helpful because we get to see where your heart is. What are the things that concern you versus uh, what, are the, what are the next view verses in the text that I'm preaching? And by the way, no one has sent me anything about what you want me to preach next, so that's why there's still a delay. Uh, but, so it's your fault, it's not mine. Just kidding. Uh, so what is on your heart in these days in which we live? Um, had dinner with some folks the other night, and they said it's a very scary time. It's a very um, uh, intense time for people to be focused so much on fear that they get distracted away from, from Christ and from the things of Christ. I think that's true. I know it's true for some people. Um, we don't want to scare people into obedience, but there is a, um, a part of this world being in it and not of it that does tempt us and is difficult. So um, I'd like to see where you're at. And again, I apologize. I'd love to preach. So I could go get one of John's sermons and preach it off the, his notes online. Yeah.
1: Are, are, you, are you saying like in your heart like, oh, no, it's him? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so qu- quick question, Pride Month.
0: He um, always says quick question. It's so right. funny, <laughs> which means you know absolutely that, nothing. You know what that means. Yeah, yeah that means really absolutely that nothing. Right. Yeah.
1: Like um, a, <laughs> so Pride Month, uh, you know, I have a lesbian that works for me. And she knows where I stand, there's no question about that. Uh, But there are, as an employer, there are things that you can't do. And then there are questions in my own heart, how far do you go, how far do you push, knowing that uh, it's something that we could have a conversation about. And yet it could cost my company and it could cost everything here in California. So I guess the question to you is when you're in that situation, it doesn't have to be just my situation. Mm-hmm. It could be someone else who you're working with who is a, you know, in, in a, 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 a sinful situation, whether you're an employer or a supervisor or not. But how far do you push? Where do you, you know, stop um, and, where, and where do you not stop when you know that the consequences could be coming to you but God's in control?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a very important question, and it happens more with people like yourself who are actually supervisors, because you have in this person's uh, life authority already. There's a certain amount of authority that you have, and therefore you have an audience with them in a way that maybe a co-worker would not have. And so it is a very important dynamic to be aware of. You know, for the most part, uh, someone being homosexual, someone even being transsexual or the whole uh, change of pronoun, and all that, it, it probably for the most part, at least in my experience, isn't going to come up that much just in daily back and forth of what work is, your business. It just doesn't come up that much. You're, I don't even see how it would come up uh, unless you're talking about extracurricular activity. What are you doing this weekend? Uh, you know, I'm going to be with my uh, significant other and she's a woman and she says, you know, with, with Brenda. And uh, so you kind of that throws you a little bit as a Christian, by the way. It shouldn't throw us because this is the world. The world is so incredibly filled with this anti-God, over-sexualized culture. Uh, so it's really not going to come up that much. And I don't want you. I want people to pray about it. Remember last time I told you that my my disciples said, you know, have you prayed about it? Have you prayed about it? And I said no. So I stopped asking him questions. Uh, I think the first thing is to pray for her uh, or him and in this particular situation, pray for opportunity to be able to talk about it in a place where it's neutral and and friendly. And you know, of course, if if she's a woman, you don't wanna be having lunch with her, so you'd have to have lunch with other people uh, there, meaning a a man shouldn't be with a woman even if she professes to be homosexual, it's still not above reproach. And so it's hard with other people there to enter into a conversation. Maybe they're not Christians either. So I think in your case, uh, Tony, I think it's just like really living an exemplary life and letting her see that and hoping that she asks you, you know, where do you stand on this whole thing? And in which case, you might say, are we off the clock? Is this something that can, you know, because I, I, and never make it uh, personal, like this is affect, unless it is affecting her work, and you know, this, is, this is not personal, this is, um, this is what the Bible says about homosexuality. I know a little bit about this because my brother-in-law is gay. Uh, Lori's brother. And uh, we've had all kinds of different interactions over the years. And uh, they boycotted our Thanksgiving one time because um, I, I wouldn't hug him. And it's not because of any strange feeling. I just didn't want him to know he was family. So we, I shook his hand and very respectful. But if you don't hug him, in my brother-in-law's eyes, that's disrespectful because I'm not including him. So I had to navigate through those waters for a long time. How do you, how do you bring it up? Uh, Lori will tell you we don't bring up anything anymore with her brother because he says we're done. You know, No more conversations about it. We've probably had, oh gosh, 20 conversations over the years and just no more. So um, I... You know, when there's people, for instance, at the acting studio that I also teach at, shock um, that I'm shocked more than anybody else. um, That 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 I deal with homosexuality. I deal with can I play a man's part even though I'm a woman? Can I play a woman's part even though I'm a man? Type of thing. And I think you just have to. I don't mean to be skirting the issue, but I think you just have to, you know, almost on a need to know basis only. You share what you need to share. You share it when it seems appropriate to share it. I've shared the gospel and things uh, at times where I got, you know, called into the office for it type of thing. Um, one time I told some actors, I said, uh, I'm going to cut some of these bad words out of the scene so you don't have to say that. And they're going, why? I go, well, it's, it's good for me and it's good for your soul. And uh, good for my soul. And they went to the office and said, what's he talking about? It's good for my soul. And so I got dinged on that one. Had to get a conference, you know, got my hand slapped. Um but um, that's pretty mild, you know, so sorry I couldn't go deeper. Than that. I think the main thing is we sometimes think that we need to evangelize. I, look, the world that we live in is you're just around the people you're around, so you don't really get outside your own zone. So if you're at work all the time, well, those are the people you minister to, so you think God must have put those people in my life for a reason, and so you feel delinquent if you're not allowing yourself to, to share the gospel, but you know, as you guys may or may not know, you've been called to work and to bring glory to God in the excellence of your work. That's your goal. And in the meantime, if something does open up, if a door does open up for you, uh, to walk through every door that's open, every single one that's open to you where they seem receptive, where they're truly curious. Um, I don't think I've ever had anybody come to me ever and say, do you think the fact that I'm a homosexual is wrong? I've never had anybody do that, so I don't see that happening, Uh, but I do sit there and through just little pieces of information over the week, uh, trying to put together, even maybe an invitation to come to church here, Um, but you have to be be not cautious because we don't care about HR, we don't really, that's not our thing, we wanna be respectful of the law, but I think it, I'm going to be more respectful to what it is I've been called to do, which is to honor the Lord in your business as you do. And hopefully, as it says in First Peter, that they see the hope you have. And by seeing the hope you have, they ask you, why do you have this kind of hope? And that's where the gospel comes into play. Okay. Does that make sense, everybody? Would anybody argue that? Good. Okay. <laughs> I know it wasn't the ratification of the uh, New Testament, but still. So, yeah. This is Gary. Gary used to play football, so he's quick. (laughs) (laughs) On his feet, yeah, yeah. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Charles.
2: Can you just reiterate the sovereignty of God? Our pastor did that during a time when all of the Uh, Attack was coming against the church and standing strong on that Mm. and the sovereignty of God based upon how you are secure for being in Christ and kept in Christ. So if we are foreknown before the foundations of the earth, if we are then predestined and we are called and answer that call, as we are being sanctified and we see everything that is going on in the world and we hear the things that are going on in the world, to be mindful of the word of God being true and sure in God's sovereignty for his children.
0: I didn't hear the question. Can you, <laughs> did you hear a question? I didn't hear the question. Okay. Can, you, can you reiterate <laughs> the sovereignty of God, how secure we are? You know, it's God's interesting, Elvis. I've got it. Uh, I Sorry, I didn't hear the question. Um, You know, I was thinking about this the other day, too. Just what does it mean? And I think we use the word sovereignty so much here at Grace Church that sometimes we might kind of um, go around it without really thinking deeply about what that means. And in other words, God is in control. And that God is in control of every aspect of life, is very mind-boggling. Then you have this whole idea of providence and how providence and his sovereignty work and are intertwined together. It's very, it's very mind-expanding to try to focus on the fact that God is in control of everything that happens, both evil and both good. He is not the author of evil, but he allows what takes place in life to take place in life. And that when you see that the grand goal of God is his own glory and bringing his sons and daughters to to salvation and ultimately to heaven, Uh, when you see how he works those intricate kind of the tentacles of everything in life together through providence and also know that he's the one that is sovereign over that meaning, he's in full control, it is both um, reassuring because as you think about it, you realize that though your life may not be what you want it to be, or life may not be um, go, going in the right direction, quote-unquote, that you still can rest in the fact that God is sovereign over it all. Real quick, there's a, there's a verse one time I was um, struggling in my own heart just about uh, the way things work out in life, uh, you know, um, the way that... Um, what I was seeing in, in my life and in my family's life and, and the direction it was going as not being the one that I thought perhaps is where I wanted it to go. And it says here in Proverbs 16, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from Yahweh. And you go, okay, that's interesting. Let me Let me think about that. So even though what I say is one thing, but Yahweh is the one that produces the answer. And listen to this. The king's heart, this is Proverbs 21, the king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of Yahweh. He turns it wherever he pleases. Now, think about this with me. The king's heart is like channels of water. So the king, the one in authority, uh, you might even go to President Biden, if you will. Uh, his heart is like a channel of water in the hand of Yahweh, and he makes it and allows it to go whichever way he wants. That's total his sovereignty over everything. So from the king uh, to, to the person who is serving the king to the, what do they call them, the wine-bibber or the, the, the court gesture, all of it are, and all of them are in control, are being controlled by God, even though it doesn't always manifest the way you want. Let me say it a different way. It might be helpful and I don't know if this is gonna make sense, but when you think of God's sovereignty, think of this, there is no plan B. There's no plan B with God. Now that's kind of, you know, and even with your you know, current situation, Charles, and how we prayed for your health, you know, you know there's no plan B. It was always gonna be this way. There was never going to be a chance of where, um, like, like if, if you, let me, if I can explain this. If I, if I look back on my life and I start to question this or that or why did it happen, I should not do that because this was always going to happen in this way. What I don't know at this point is the fork in the road of my own life. I don't know what the next moment is. I don't know what door I'm supposed to walk through, as I said earlier, but I know as soon as I walk through that door that there, I was always going to walk through that door, that there was no plan B because God is sovereignly working through and directing every single aspect of my life. So both that brings comfort to me Because there are many mistakes that I have made over the course of my life and many things that I thought, well, I shouldn't have done it that way. Best thing, of course, was marrying Lori. Uh, But I just want to put that out there because she's in here. Uh, Lunch. No, I'm kidding. but it's also true that, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly not smart enough to pick the, the bride that I should have picked. God allowed that to happen. I certainly didn't prepare myself to have the children that God has granted us and the, the amazing qualities of our boys. I, I didn't deserve that. And yet at the same time, I know that I was always going to have them. There was no plan B. Excuse me, Lori was always going to have them. There was no plan B. <laughs> One time we went to the doctor and he said... Uh, just want to let you know your wife's, you know, probably going to be doing a couple of weeks. And I said, Doc, what, what does it feel like to go into, you know, labor? He goes, oh, okay. He goes, well, grab, grab your upper lip. I said, yeah. He goes, now pull it over your head. I said, got it, got it. Anyway, um, how did that come up with sovereignty? So, it, 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 but, it, but it has to do with this. Hopefully that has comfort that as, as bad as things could be and as good as things could be, and no matter what your circumstances are, you're at the fork of the road this morning. You can either choose the left or the right, but as soon as you do pick whatever path you're on, you're gonna know that actually that was God's predetermined plan for you. And now there was no plan B. You were always gonna take that route. And now be wise and prayerful as you move at least that's how I think of it. I don't know why. It's so funny. I was thinking the other day, why do we always use sovereignty when really it's just God's in control? That, I mean, just to be super clear, God's in control of my health, of my lack of health, of my, uh, my fortune, my lack of fortune, you know, all of that's in the creator's hands. And he's greater than us. Couldn't that be
1: used
0: as a crutch for not being responsible? Well, it could be. And this is interesting. Um, you know, the same, the same idea of sovereignty, uh, to go back to you, Anthony, even though you didn't speak with a microphone, uh, is, uh, uh, but that's okay, I shouldn't know, is uh, it goes back to evangelism, right? So God's sovereignty and evangelism. So if God is sovereign and he is in control of who's going to get saved and who's not going to get saved and all of that, um, then why should I evangelize? Because he's already got them, he's already got somebody who's going to preach the gospel to this person. And so, and the question of that is that's true, but I don't rest in that. It's almost as if they say, and we talked about this last time, remember about, um, um, you know, living out uh, through our lives God's providence of where was I going with that, is that in your evangelism there, I am still compelled and and required to evangelize. That's why it's on your heart, even though you know if God's going to save this woman or bring her out of her homosexuality and grant her heaven, that that's not your responsibility, but that is something that you do feel the responsibility for, though it's going to be his sovereign working that makes it happen. So to to say it differently... Um, as good Calvinist, if you like that word, I don't, but uh, as good Calvinist, it's like I know God's in total control, but I act as if I am the one responsible. Though I know God's responsible for all of it, I live as if I'm responsible, knowing that I'm not. It's in the same way, why pray? Why do anything in the Christian life? Why, why pray if God is already sovereignly gonna work out all the details and there's no plan B because I'm commanded to pray? Because it, So again, I think people read the Bible sometimes And they have that misconception that, uh, why should I have to do it? Well, because you're called to do it. But if God's in control, what's the point? The point is being honorable and, and faithful and showing him that you want to please him by your actions. So, yeah, Caesar, you can, that's okay. No, you don't. Oh, okay, for the recording. In the
1: Bible, it says, like, you know, none of us is good, not one. It says that the righteousness of a man is like filthy rags. But sometimes you see, like, he's a good person. Like, you know, I come across people like, he's a good person, right? And I go, compared to who? Because it's easy to say that our own are good. Yeah. But in reality, I would just, I consider myself as a nothing because I am a nothing. But at the same time, when someone, hey, thank you, you know, I really take it for heart. But my question is, we're still... Even say, we're still like, is it that chain, we're still like filthy rags, and at the same time, are we good?
0: Yeah, Psalm 8 says, um, when I see your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've established, what is man that you remember him, and the son of man that you care for him? You, yet you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you crown him with glory and majesty. This ironic kind of text here, as he's saying and extolling God, he's saying, who am I that you love me? And at the same time, he's saying, but I know I'm not, I'm not worthy. It's both I'm unworthy and worthy. Because you say, again, this is where we go back to Scripture. Yes, it says that um, all of us, not one is good. That's talking about our position before God to get heaven uh, we, we can't go before God and say we deserve anything. Like you said, our, Jeremiah says our, our good deeds are like filthy rags. That's my merit. That's what I'm believing. I have no merit in my salvation. But in terms of good, um, you know, there are people that are kind. There are people that are loving. They don't know Christ. There are people um, who are sweet and have a disposition of just kind of a, a tender heartedness. They're just out there. And God, that's part of God's common grace, Uh, You know, he makes the rain fall on the wicked and the righteous. And so his common grace is just to sit there and say, even people who don't go to church, who who don't even know the Lord, who might even reject the Lord, yet you might have a conversation with them um, in line as you're at the grocery store and just find them to be so pleasant and so interesting. You know, I remember one time Pastor John met with... um, Man named Guy Ritchie, who was a director, uh, was married to Madonna, and he had a chance to share the gospel with him. And it's always interesting when Pastor John, this guy's very, very, you know, very worldly, extremely worldly guy, and you'll ask John, you'll say, uh, Pastor John, what was he like? And he goes, I found him to be such a fascinating, interesting man. You know, he's not sitting there saying, you know, this is what I think we would think he would say is like, he's a pagan, oh my goodness, he just like the clothes he wore and the cologne he had on, you know, whatever. You know, but, but John is, he sees through that. You can still be an interesting, kind, wonderful person in your disposition and be lost, completely lost. And because maybe you were depending on your own goodness and your own sweetness, you know, by the way, I've answered letters before when people say, I've heard John say that, you know, he was a good guy, but not in a salvific way. I don't think anybody can be good. I don't think anybody can really love without Christ. I don't think anybody. And there there is a degree of truth to that. You know, you can't fully love. You can't fully understand the love of God and give it to others unless God has granted that love in your heart first. But outside that, in a common grace way, in a common grace way, he has equipped people to be Sometimes charming and sometimes cruel. Uh, But don't think that either one of those is addressing not one of us is good, not even one. That's in terms of our position to acquire our salvation. That's our justification. You can't gain that through your goodness. You have no goodness. You're filthy rags. But people still can be pleasant. By the way, don't let pleasantries surprise you when people do very horrible things because they can be very sweet and, and very loving and then you find out they're just as wretched as anybody else and maybe maybe they hide it better who knows but um, it's not wrong to have friends that are not Christians you know but don't forget that they're not Christians yeah yeah oh, oh. he's Thank in you. charge of the mic
2: in God's mercy grace and holiness He hates sinners and loves them at the same time. Mm -hmm. How can you simplify this paradox? Maybe, is it right? (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. How can you
2: simplify this paradox to unbelievers?
0: Say that last part again.
2: How can you explain this in simpler terms to unbelievers?
0: That concept to unbelievers? Yeah. That you can be both... Well, I think when you are sharing or speaking of the gospel to people, that you you really want to go for the heart of the matter. And I think that the issue many times is we're afraid that if we say it too straightforward to uh, what it's supposed to be, just this is the gospel, uh, you're a sinner, um, that it's unpalatable for people. But the truth is, uh, when you, and I've quoted this so many times, but First Timothy 2, when you, when you think about the Lord's bondservant being kind to all, You're kind to everyone, Uh, able to teach, that's talking about a skill, patient when wronged, so kind and patient, with gentleness, here's the key, with gentleness letting them know that they are in the snare of the devil. But it's with gentleness, uh, uh, explaining the gospel to those people even who were opposing you. So I think, and I don't think people talk about this enough, tone and the way you speak and the way that you present yourself is just as important as the, the words that you're using. So for instance, I could sit there and say, I don't think you're going to heaven. You know, but they don't hear, you know, you're going to hell. They hear me saying they're going like, I'm, I'm perplexed. I don't know because I can't tell by your confession whether you're a believer or not. Sometimes the tone and the way that you say things can help people. Um, but the second thing is, I wouldn't explain things that were too radically um, difficult for me to understand. I wouldn't, you know, you mentioned last time we spoke about um, about God's free or free will in man. And by the way, I didn't answer that, so let me answer one more thing about your, your free will. Uh, we don't have free will, just so you know. Now, people go, well, I can do whatever I want, isn't that free will? No, we we are we're slaves, either to unrighteousness or righteousness, right? So we're, we're free in our unrighteousness to be more unrighteous, we have, if that's freedom, but, but you're either a slave spiritually to unrighteousness or to God, and so we really don't have free will. That's more of a psychological or a philosophical kind of concept. But anyway, going back to your, you've got these big, deep questions, these are great. <laughs> you know, uh, you, do, you know, what I like about it is, you're trying to reconcile something that I don't think anybody in the history of the church has been able to reconcile. But you're supposed to grapple with those things, you know. Pastor John had the same thing on Sunday night. It was the guy who was speaking um, in my row asked a question, and I sure enough knew this is this comes up every single Q and A. How can and it was the same way that you phrase it for the most part. How can you have a God who is um, you know, righteous and working out our salvation with fear and trembling, or we are working out our salvation with fear and trembling. How can that be true, and at the same time, this be true? And those, those paradoxes, or I would call it seeming paradoxes, are just something that you learn to live with. The tension of never doubting. But just living with the tension, as John MacArthur said the other night, if I was God, and I, if I could the, understand this, then I'd be God, and I'm not God, so I'm kind of comforted that I can't understand it. Because you can't pull out one component from another. Um, so evangelism, that seems like a, a big question, you know, for people. Do you have opportunities to evangelize? Um, are you making opportunities to evangelize, you know? Shelly Ann
2: question is, sometimes you have people in your life. Uh, Some are (laughs) believers, some are not believers. We have people, right? Some are believers, some are not believers. And I have a friend that I've known her for uh, I want to say about 15 years. And I share the gospel. And she said to me, when her mother was dying, her last words were everything in the Bible is true Hmm. and she died. And this friend um, she's not a believer, but it always seems such a challenge to me to share the gospel. We begin, and then she goes, she veers off to a different topic, and then yep. we start again, and she veers off. Um, so my question is, with someone like that, as a Christian, do we continue to pursue them, or is, is it that God has certain people that evangelize to, to whom he's called them to evangelize?
0: Does that make sense? Yeah, well, both are true. Yeah, you need to continue as long as God's give you an open door. And there are those that are called uh, to evangelism in a, in a sense that they have a, an understanding and a predisposition toward being able to communicate those truths that are kind of their giftedness. But, you know, I don't think, I, I, it's interesting this, to hear this. I think we can't give up on people. You know, we can't. So, um, And you have to be cautious to to think it's gonna be you. You gotta be willing to lose this friend to gain one in heaven, you know? And I think that um, sometimes we, we don't know what's, what's the hardest thing about the gospel. You know, if you don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you will be lost in your sins forever. I mean, you, you're not forgiven. So you have to start with, I mean, you can start with God. You can start with, you know, looking at nature and knowing there's, you know, a common kind of general expression of God's uh, attributes, but to be specific and to really share Jesus Christ, the specifics in the New Testament, and the Old Testament, I think you just have to be very, I don't even know if it's being bold. You're just being open, just honest. You know, um, if you don't repent of your unbelief, then you're dead in your sins. So... Did I speak about this one time about a guy who said that there was a girl uh, who he wanted to address the way she dressed, address the way she dressed? And uh, there was, I did q and A Q&A years ago, and there was a guy. It was a single guy, and he said, uh, "There's a woman at my work, and she is very uh, immodest in the way she dresses. Uh, how do I, how do I talk about that?" I said, "You don't." <laughs> Are you nuts? (laughs) You know, you don't like, what are you going to sit there and say? You know, Uh, um, so and he goes, well, but but aren't we supposed to dress all sin? I go, look, she's dressing the way she's dressing because she doesn't know him. If she knew him, she'd change. Something would be... I'm not saying that there's not believing women who might be immodest, but maybe they don't know either. Maybe they haven't been taught as well as we've been taught. Um, and, you know, thinking through First Peter 3 and you know, let it not be external adornment, but internal. Um, I said, now you've got to address the fact she doesn't believe in Jesus Christ. You just go there And oh, boy, he was so upset with that. One of the longest emails I've ever had. Just kept going and kept going and kept going. And I took it to Kerry Hardy. This is how many years ago it was. And I said, how do you address that? He goes briefly, just briefly, you know. That is my motive. I think I've said that the more that the longer your emails are to me, the briefer my response (laughs) is. Because I'm just going to sit there and go, read it, got it, thank you. (laughs) But... um, so I think, in, at least in my life, it's like, I know what, here's, here's, here's the deal, not everybody's been saved as long as everyone else, but I got saved at 30. Um, so that means I've had 30 years of figuring out how to do it wrong and, and, how, and what, my, what my goal was in my life. And just, so when I evangelize other people, I think as if I'm talking to myself. I'm just telling them what I needed to hear. I just tell them what I was resisting. I just need to be honest with them. And then it, I think that um, if people don't want to hear that, they don't want to be my friend anymore, that's not going to stop me from being their friend or praying for them. But, but sometimes people do avoid you, and then sometimes they don't. Um, and they start to say, that thing you said last year. Remember that thing you were talking about last year? Oh, yeah. uh huh. I've been praying about it for about a year now. Uh, I, you know, What did you mean, unbelief? I don't. I don't get that. When I was first saved, when I first came to California, I remember there was a person on uh, Hollywood Boulevard. They said, you know, are you saved in their poster board? Are you saved? And I remember driving by thinking, what does that mean? I don't even understand what that means. So that, even in my mind now, let's explain it. Are you forgiven of sin? you know, have you been saved from the wrath to come? Well, that's good for Christian people to understand, but people who aren't Christian don't know that. So how do you frame it in such a way where the words are what you would have needed to hear as an unbeliever so that you can kind of, I'm not trying to say um, common ground or anything like that, but just what is, the, what is the entrance into their life? How do I speak about it? But again, the bottom line is we're, we're doomed and damned. One time I did this, I, I shared the gospel with a man who was uh, in the hospital dying i've made an analogy to him before he was shriveled sh- he was so shriveled up he probably weighed like 97 pounds and he had tattoos when he was a merchant marine and all those tattoos now were just you know gone just sunken into his flesh and um his sister was a member here so she asked if i would go to the uh the vet and uh and talk to him. And when I did, he he's the only guy that's ever cursed me out uh, in a hospital room. He's the only one that in his weakness found enough strength to sit up and shake his finger at me and to tell me to go. Um, but even then, I'm sitting there going, look, you're about to meet your maker. You've got to make a, you know, you've got to appeal to God for the fact that you're going to die in your sins. And so this is the moment. And no people don't like that, but did you like the gospel when you first heard it? Hey, Bray. Did, did you? Yeah, when you first heard it, it wasn't like, you know, this breath of fresh air. To me, it was like stranglehold, you know? It was like, I'm going to hold my breath as long as I can because he wants me, and I'm done, and I don't know how what to do, and I don't want to give in. I, I want to keep my sin. I want to keep living in it and until finally he breaks your heart. So it, it hurts before the good news comes, of course. Yeah. Hey.
3: Do humans and angels have eternal souls?
0: Well, when you say it like souls, all people, um, yes, the answer is yes, but all people um, are going to either go to heaven or hell in resurrection bodies that last forever. So the soul or the spirit, however you want to delineate that, the part of you that is uh, not visible is, was always going to be wrapped up with a visible bodily functioning um, and actually sinless, praise God, in, in heaven. Uh, what do you call it? Um, c- container? Carcass? I don't know what I'm saying. But, uh, but when it comes to angels, yeah, angels don't die. Angels will be cast into Tartarus, into the lowest part of the depth forever. They too will be... Um, Experiencing the pain, and the and the angels in heaven are there now, and are experiencing bliss to the point where they have to cover their eyes. The cherubim and seraphim are just can't even behold the glory of God. Um, why? Why the question? I've been hearing a lot of things.
3: I have been listening to other preachers, other uh, teachers, yeah. and they said that if we believe that we die and we go to hell is pagan.
0: No, that's that what is the Bible not says. true
3: that we die and we go to hell or heaven. Well we die yeah, before yeah. we get the new body.
0: Oh. Well there's there's some debate on that. People we call it Hades, you know, there's uh, Jesus is speaking about uh the, the man Uh, who was wealthy, and Lazarus, who who, uh, died. And then they're saying there's a a, a chasm between the two of them as they speak. You can't come over to here. Can you go tell my brothers? Uh, No one will listen to them unless they have the prophets and Moses. Uh, No one will listen even if they come back from the dead. So people don't always know how to determine that. Like hell, when you talk about hell... I don't know if this is the question, but but hell is a big subject. People say hell, but they don't, they're not necessarily talking about the lake of fire at the final hell. Sometimes they're talking about different stages of that. Not that there's stages of hell, but how we talk about it. So a person dies, so you either go to Hades, uh, where there will be, um, or you're in the presence of the Lord. So you're one or the other. In the presence of the Lord, you'll be given your eternal body and being with him forever uh, as the person who's... Uh, in will be also given a resurrection body that can feel eternally, forever, consciously everything that they suffer.
3: They say they have changed a lot of things in the Bible, so we are thinking and believing things that are, were not there originally. Yeah. So don't I believe them. Don't, don't, don't believe them.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, people have been saying that for thousands of years. Even you know, so it's just don't don't believe them and just pray for them. You know. Don't let it distract you. Hi Tom. Hey Ray. How you been? Good, good. I invited some people to listen to us talk. <laughs> hey, lately when I've been going through my prayer list. When I've been going through my prayer list, yeah. um, both my parents and my sister, they're in an eternity. And I don't know what to pray for because I'm not really sure where they're at. Yeah. I'm just lost for words.
1: Uh, I don't want to be disrespectful disrespectful to God because once you're in
0: eternity it's irreversible. Yeah ask myself sometimes, am I praying for my own sorrow or for my parents and my sisters? So. Mm. Well, God is just. God is the God of justice. Um, you know, I, I think of my mom and dad, um, and I say things sometimes to them out loud, not realizing that they can't hear me. And so I pray to the Father, tell my mom and dad that I love them. Uh, you know, tell them I'm thinking about them, if it's your will, if that's even on the radar, but to me, I miss them, and I want you to please let them know that I miss them, um, and I'm sure, even as I say that, I'm thinking that they're like beholding Christ, and, and he says, uh, Tom said, who, who's, who's that? Who, <laughs> you know, the whole time, you know, he said he misses you, yeah, okay, What? Well, thank you, Lord, did you, you know, I mean, they don't even, you know, they'll think about me when they see me again, but I think they're beholding and and blissful. Now, if you don't know your parents' spiritual situation exactly, again, I just pray to the Lord saying, Lord, I, I don't know, but I know you hold my life in your hand, and I don't know what the next thing for me to think or, or to feel is, but I trust you, and I trust you where they're at, and I trust you with my eternity. I trust you with everything, and I can't pray for something to be reversed because." You know, we die, and then comes the judgment, so they're already been that choice has already been made uh, by your parents. But I think we just keep thanking God, and, and I do think that there's fear involved with that. You know, the, the fear of it is, you know, damnation is real and eternal, and you don't know. Like the people in Matthew 7, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And you don't know that you're damned until you're damned. Uh, So that's why it takes introspection, and it takes a lot of evaluating your faith, just like what Pastor John was preaching today, Um, just even just aligning your life up with what it is that you see in the Scripture, and then uh, having that heart uh, homework on yourself. Really look at yourself, and and if you find assurance in your heart, and you know that you belong to Him and He belongs to you, then you can rejoice and just trust that that same God— who's made a provision for you is the same God that's over your parents' eternal destiny and everyone's eternal destiny. So one time years ago, not to segue, but um, there was a gal here with her husband and family and um, they had a uh, really close relationship with a family who in Simi Valley, uh, who actually got a divorce and the man that they were real good friends with, spent summer vacations with, uh, decided he was just going to go and, and kill his children and kill himself, and that's what happened. And here they are thinking the whole time that you know he was saved, church goer, the whole thing, and um, and th- even thinking about the children, and they were just so perplexed, so perplexed. And I again had to go back to, you know, like Charles said, God is sovereign. You know, he doesn't make any mistakes. He knows our hearts. It's, it's now time for us to look at not that tragedy, but our own lives. Where are we before God? So, yeah, that's pretty shocking stuff. Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry. Okay, okay, yeah. Let's do this. Test, test, test. Oh, it's Phil. I could tell by the test, test, test.
4: Um, okay, with the word faith... Um, like in Hebrews 11:1, how it says, now faith is the assurance of things, hoped for the conviction of things not seen. Yeah. That peace is faith. And then it speaks of faith of the prophets, like Noah and Abraham. By faith, it was accounted to him as righteousness. Again, faith. Every time I read the word, and I study the word on faith, I always see the description of faith as a description or a profession. Uh, my question is, is the existence of faith or the faith itself contingent on being actualized by an action, or does faith in in and of itself exist? Is it a tangible? If I can use the word tangible, um, in the spiritual sense, does that make sense?
0: <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> um,
4: so. <laughs> so.
0: So is this a tangible intangible
4: <laughs>
2: thing?
4: Um, I think it's a. Tangible or tangible that becomes tangible, but no. Yeah. Faith right. um, itself, it, it's like, let's talk about evil and good. The, is one contingent's existence, is it dependent on the other? I don't think so. The absence of God is evil, but God exists, right? So this faith in and of itself, exist because it says it's actualized. I've always said that faith is actualized by works. So you can only see faith through works. Show me your faith, I'll show you my works. Mm -hmm. Show me the works, then that would be evidential of actualized faith.
0: Well, what, what I like to do is many times, I like to try to use words that are either biblical and that don't have some kind of like even the manifestation or what's the word you just said. Uh, um, sometimes they, ha- they have their own kind of meaning that sometimes can have almost a new age meaning to them, too. So I want to be careful to the way we explain this, even to ourselves. Um, it sounds like you're asking, Phil, and I might be wrong. Is faith an independent component that exists in the world? Is that what you're saying?
4: Yeah, that's what I'm actually asking you. Out of of all of that, I'm saying, is faith an independent entity? Sorry.
0: It's an independent entity. Independent agent. Agent. (laughs) Um, Well, I... Dynamic. God God grants... Okay, is faith faith. itself... God (laughs) grants... Is, is faith, itself, like, can faith embody itself? Like you're thinking, like, is, it a, is it a power? Is it a, I'd, say, I'd say no, it's a gift of God. That's why my mind doesn't want to go anywhere else. It's a gift of God. He grants us faith. He grants us repentance. It manifests or it shows itself in our works. Yes, I mean, that's what James right. says. Right,
4: so that's what I was asking, but still, is faith itself... It's not a separate entity or something that is actualized in our works. Is it just, just leave it at that, it's a gift, and it manifests itself in our works? Is that it?
0: Yeah, I mean, you, you express your love for God, your faith in Christ, in your actions, and as you see those actions manifesting more and more, like Ephesians 4 tells us, that you can tell that you are... Uh, gonna, you're created for the good works that are b- being produced out of your faith. Grant God grants us faith, and then God demands uh, our works because they're interconnected. But I think what you're saying, and maybe I'm wrong, and I will move on, is is faith its like own kind of uh, uh, manifestation orbiting through the universe? That's what it seems like. And the answer would be no. It's a it's a gift of God. God grants it.
4: Okay, because yeah, he because because when Hebrews 11:1 says it's assurance it's conviction, dependence, it's reliance, everything? Yeah. Just leave it at that?
0: I think you have to because I think you can start to speak in such ways, and this is not just you, but a lot of people can start to start to speak in ways that aren't, um, and I'm not talking about you specifically here, but aren't biblical in the terminology. One time a guy gave me uh, his testimony, and um, I, I couldn't tell if he was a Christian. And I said, can you, can you go read the book of John a bunch of times, and then come back and explain to me your testimony in terms that are contained in the book of John. Can you do that for me? Because I want to hear biblical terminology as you're helping me understand where you where you stand. And um, that's how I kind of needed it. I wanted to hear it. Like, what would you say? I believe... In the the word uh, made flesh, yes, I believe uh, my my faith is in the the Lord Jesus Christ and His redemption. I just want to hear words like that if I can, because it helps me to know that you know. And if you don't know those words, then um, then that's my job too, is helping you understand how to express that. I don't know if that helped at all. I did the best I could. Entity, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Hey, visitors. <laughs>
5: Okay. Um, so this is more like a Grace Community Church organizational like policy question. Okay. Um, so the way I understand, there's kind of like three structures to build society that God created for us, like family, church, and government. Mm-hmm. Um, so with like recent scandals with like the Southern Baptist Church with like 750 pastors kind of being moved around or hidden, trying to deal with it internally. And covering it and hide, hiding it rather than submitting them to the law and the government, as I believe they ought to have done. Um, I guess what I'm wondering is, as I've gotten older, I've started to realize like it seems like churches often try to deal with things internally hmm. rather than when things are happening in secret, mm-hmm. kind of submitting them to the law. I'm just wondering like what are Grace Community Church's policies for people, you know, who like work with women and children here even? Because I don't even know what they are. Mm-hmm. And if anything ever comes up, like what's the church's policies for dealing with that rather you know, just for protecting the individuals right. who may be vulnerable rather than protecting the organization? Right.
0: Well, I think, um, first of all, like when you work with children here, you have to go through background check. And, we, and actually, it's been intensified. I think there's like three different components of that background check now, uh, which is good and, and it's great. If something happened within the church, something that happened that was illegal, it would be reported. Um, if something is confessed to me, um, even to the point of someone says, you know, I want to kill myself, uh, I need to have them call the police or me call the police because, again, and I'm not saying people just saying, oh, I wish I could kill myself or something you know, lightheartedly saying something extreme. But, um, so we're very serious about that. The only thing that does come up in this is when you think of, uh, let's say, for instance, lawsuits. So I was thinking of 1 Corinthians 6. And um, he says, does any one of you, when he has a case against another, dare to be tried before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, are you not worthy to constitute the smallest law courts? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of life? So if you have law courts dealing with matters of this life, do you appoint those who have no account and the church as judges? I say this to your shame. So the reason I bring this section up is uh, we do deal with things in house, but not in terms of if it was illegal. Illegal things have to be dealt with in the courts. Um, in Romans 13, you have to be able to do that. But things within the church itself, we might have uh, differing opinions about what we have to do in terms of. I've I've sat in on lawsuits before that are, uh, you know, hundreds and thousands of dollars between members of different churches, and we've actually resolved it without going to court, where they actually settled out of court, which was a miracle. It was amazing that that happened. So if it's matters within the church that are not legal or illegal, I should say, we handle them within the church at every level that we can to protect people and their their, um, their reputation. But if it's illegal, you've just drawn the line. So now there's nothing we can do. And again, we have to know to be able to enforce. Sometimes um, there will be people, and you, you, we've actually had a guy here one time. He was caught stealing, and so we, he was uh, disciplined for that. He seemed repentant, quote unquote, but he still uh, had stolen this thing, and, and we didn't, you can't, how can you tell? But we didn't know until later that he actually, that was just the first of many things with this man's life, which manifested even in, um, you know, being with children and wanting to be with children. So he was no longer allowed here or to be here. We've done that many times. We've had people who have been acknowledged as um, sexual deviants that we had to have just, you can't be with children, you can't do this, and now actually we just walk you off the campus because you can't be here. So does that kind of answer the question you're asking? So um, if it's illegal, you have to deal with it. Um, But there are some things, for instance, and delicate issues within families that It's not really about, oh gosh, how do I say this? Sometimes certain people can frame their situation as such where they make it seem as if a crime has been committed when the truth is you have to sort that out between people and through conversation and through question and answer figuring out exactly what did happen. But if it was seen as being illegal or sinful, sinfully illegal, uh, I'm thinking of uh, a woman being hit I'm thinking of uh, children being abused. That has to be reported. I do that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It is for me. You guys can go if you want, but this is, you know, I always feel bad. I can always tell when people start turning their head that maybe it's time for me to stop talking because they're looking for the clock behind. And I know they have a watch on their hand, so I don't know why they're looking like that. So it's obviously a signal to me, you know. <laughs> yeah, no one's going like that. Everybody's like, what, what time is it? Oh, you know. Do we, you want two more? If you, well, Just one more and then everybody can go. I know this is horrible because I said you can go. Now I'm telling you, you got to stay. You don't have to do that. Yes. Uh, and then I'll answer yours privately too. Is this helpful to even hear this kind of yeah. stuff? Okay, you know. Yeah.
3: Sorry, uh, I just said I have to leave.
0: No, to of course, Loopy. Yeah.
3: take photos. Well, anyway, um, this is a really... Um, It's a very important question right now, because we have um, a loved one in our family right now that's in hospice. And um, it could be any day, could be the date, whatever. Um, Anyway, so um, we have shared with, this is Steve's mom, I'll just say. Um, We've shared the gospel with her through the years since we first, you know, uh, Steve and I first came to know the Lord. And um, she rejected it, rejected him, rejected the gospel over and over and over. And um, even up to like three years ago, she's 100 years old, um, up up to three years ago, it was the handout, I'm okay. I don't want to hear. Okay, so now that... um, She's not cognitively there, they say. Mm-hmm. Um, she's in and out, unconscious, kind of. Um, we are wondering, um, how far do you go? In other words, can we still, I mean, I know we can go and pray, but how far can we go as far as, I mean, has she already made her decision? Is it too late? Is I mean, I know only God knows, but that's something we're wrestling with right
0: now. Well, I mean, again, they say, they say, doctors say, that hearing is the last thing that goes, you know? So people who are in coma can hear you. Uh, People who are uh, seemingly not present in the room, there still is a likelihood that they can hear. So to me, I mean, when when does God allow that judgment to be final? At what point do they become irreversible? And I think as long as their heart is beating, that there's there's opportunity for the gospel to be shared and to be told. And you know, like you said, it goes from this. I think of my own in-laws, uh, where it's not this anymore. It's more like this. And as time is going, I don't know if it's because of their age or because of the fact they realize that you know death is sooner now than ever before. Um, that they need to be hearing even more the truth. So what I would do is. Um, this, I mean what else can you do but share? What else can you do but continue on and the time is short, and I wouldn't want anybody giving up on me, but um, but I 'm just saying also i don't think you give up on her if you don't have opportunities to daily be there with her. I think that are, is she in your home right now? No, no hospital' there so um, I would be again, and I say this all the time, I'd be prayerful, more prayerful than usual, and I would sit there and ask the Lord to help uh, her to hear the gospel, to receive uh, the truth, to come to an understanding, and to repent, that if God would grant it, and that if you could be used as that device of, or that means of communicating the gospel, that'd be wonderful. But one thing I am getting from this brief time that we had together is evangelism is much more on your minds than I thought, which is good. Uh, Now I've got to do an evangelism series. Uh, So maybe that's, but I think it is really, really true. We're starting to get back with our families a little bit more. People starting to converse a little bit more with one another. And now, yeah, the time is short. People are thinking about uh, the ultimate. So I hope that helps, but don't give up on her. Yeah, don't give up on anybody. Last but not least.
2: Hi, Pastor Tom. Hey. Um, maybe a counseling question? Yeah. Um,
3: so I have a few um, women friends who are Christian believers. They're active in ministry and, and they're in the season of singleness. Mm. Um, I was wondering, how can I, as, a, as their friend, be an encouragement to them if, let's say, they have um, confessed that they battle with loneliness in this season?
0: That's really important. Um you know, I was a singles pastor for three years uh, with the Guild, which was older singles. Um, as Soon as I said singles, everybody left. I don't know what happened. But no, no, that's okay, that's okay. Oh, this has to do with singles, that's not me, so. Uh, so, um, loneliness is real. No, Someone told me one time, no one ever is lying to you when they say they're lonely, because it's just real. Um, I think the main thing is, it's very difficult. Guys, if you guys have to leave, you can leave. But there's a very delicate kind of combination and um, philosophy of dating at Grace Community Church that's not written down anywhere, uh, but it's been kind of copied and pasted for many, many decades. And with young women, or even with older women, the issue is always, how do you let yourself be known without being pushy or feeling like you're trying to, you know, take the responsibility of leadership that the man should take in terms of initiation. How do you do that? And so, most of the guys at at Grace Church, except for my sons, no, I'm kidding. Most of the guys, <laughs> most of the guys are just really not initiative oriented. They 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 don't take the initiative to. They're so scared that if you know, I ask you out for a cup of coffee that you're going to think I'm going to marry you and it's just, it's, and literally, you know, it's like, you want a cup of coffee? I'm not ready yet. <laughs> you know, like, you're not ready for coffee? I'm not ready for what the implication in coffee is. What? To wake up? I don't understand. So. <laughs> You know, so, and that really is how it is. And so some of these poor dear gals that are just so marriageable, if that's a word, they're so marriageable that um, it just kind of breaks your heart a little bit. Some of these guys don't just like, I mean, try. If you like her, it's so funny, real quick. It's so funny, you know, like, because I pursued acting for all these years. And it's like, it's like a headshot. You get, the casting director has a headshot, but that's only what you look like. They don't know you yet. They have to actually have you come in and do a reading to know anything about you. So, so much dating is just like a headshot. You see this headshot of the person, you go like, like Samson, she looks good to me. And, (laughs) you know, and you kind of go, but that's all you've got. So how do you get to know the person? And I think the only way to get to know them is, of course, best-case scenario, through Bible study, through coming here to church, through in groups, allowing yourself to be, you know, how do I know that I even like this person? So, but to do that, there's a certain level of um, fear that happens. So how do you, that's okay, that's okay, come on over here. And uh, 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 single. Uh, (laughs) No, that's a child, Tom. There's no such thing as single when you're a child. Um, But... So, musician, future musician. I love it, I love it. Well, at least he knows where he wants to be. You're, there's no way to get away from her, I, she, she sees you. Oh, 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 let's not do that, let's, not, let's go back this way. Good boy, who is this guy? I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Future pastor here. <laughs> There you go. I'll let you have my water. There you go. I haven't opened it, so there you go. So, <laughs> so being so being an, uh, a single gal and being lonely is a real thing. How do you encourage them? Just keep putting their faith in the Lord. Keep don't let them be uh, or say don't let yourself be discouraged because God is going to work this for uh, His own pleasure and your good. And I think that. And then I just started talking to, not you, but to the men. You know, I just needed to be talking to the men to sit there and say, maybe you could even um, encourage them by just knowing that, look, the Lord Jesus Christ is the most, the only person you need to be compatible with. If you're truly compatible with the Lord Jesus because he saved you, then your life is good to go. And sometimes, um, I've got long sermons on this, but um, it's, it's never too late. I know people who are in my ministry and... Man, I didn't think they were ever going to get married to anybody. And they have such joy right now and children. It's just amazing. God can do anything and bring them to a person that will love them and be committed to them for life. So, But it's, I mean, I'm sorry. There's no easy answer to it. It's just be... keep pouring into them saying that they're, they don't need to be lonely, and what are they lonely for? Companionship, well they have companionship with the church, they have companionship with their sisters in Christ, uh, they, they want you know intimacy, well that intimacy also is something that's reserved for marriage, but there's another kind of intimacy also that has to do with just brotherly love, and, and being with, uh, and, and loving God. You know sometimes, and I'm almost over here, Sometimes the satisfaction we seek in other things derail us from seeking God. Sometimes we can be, in fact, I know people who've made marriage an idol, uh, an idol of the heart in the same way Pastor John was speaking of idols today, you you know, the sexual immorality and all that. But what's the idol? What's the greed? It's for a marriage that they thought was going to be answering all their questions, and um, it didn't answer any questions. It actually created more problems. I know a gal. won't go into it. Um, I love them both, but I told them not to get married, and they got married, and um, then um, their life was miserable. From Well, actually, on their honeymoon, she said, I think I've made a horrible mistake. Can you imagine? On your honeymoon? Um, So Clayton Erb says it this way, and then I'll, I'll leave this. Clayton Erb says, I'd rather want what I don't have than have what I don't want. That was his justification for staying single. <laughs> I'd rather want what I don't have than have what I don't want. And sometimes you don't know what you're you're keeping yourself from by staying single. But I you know that's an easy thing for a man to say. It's hard for a woman to, you know, I can't I can't make myself known. I can't like you know ask him out on a date. I mean you can, but it's not going to go well here. Everybody's going to sit there and go, "You're the date girl. You're asking guys <laughs> on dates." You know, it's like so I have a suggestion of Yeah, ice cream or steak, you know, anything but but Hope that I hope that helps. Well, guys you gotta go. All right, take care. Bless you all. Bye bye.